This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. Innovation is arguably the holy grail for all businesses as the fuel for new market shares, growth and valuation, and ultimately industry leadership and legacy. A concept launched by Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen in the 90s, disruptive innovation is a process by which entrepreneurs break a low-end or new market and create business models that are different from existing ones in those markets. For instance, in the case of the iPhone, it was Apple's ability to go over the top of the carrier to provide products and services directly to the consumer. In the case of Tesla, it is its ability to bypass the dealership model, not only in sales, but in services as well. In this episode, we will zoom in the idea of disruptive innovation, what it means and how it translates into IP, how legal professionals can support and even advance it, the right corporate culture to foster it, and what disruption may look like in the near future, in particular in light of the development of artificial intelligence. Our guest today was at the forefront of many disruptive innovations, including Apple, Skype, and Airbnb, Ifa McArdo. A law and business development expert by training, Ifa is a strategic thinker who has been a key initiator and driver in the rapid growth of many startups and well-established companies. Ifa occupied prominent legal leadership roles in major international tech companies. She notably spent five years at Apple, over four years at Skype as their global head of commercial and regulatory affairs, and almost nine years at Airbnb first as their EMEA general counsel, and then global head of business affairs, social impact, Olympics and Paralympics partnership in charge of legal public policy safety, social impact, diversity and entrepreneurship across the global experiences business. With her broad experience navigating complex regulatory and policy environments for companies expanding globally, she has become a true sought-after innovation and disruption expert. I would like to thank the IP firm OneWeda for being the sponsor of this episode of Brand New. Ifa, welcome to Brand New. Thank you. Thank you so much for the introduction. So you have had prominent legal leadership roles in three iconic tech companies at the very forefront of some of the most significant innovations over the last 20 years. Have you noticed some similarities having lived through the journey and experience multiple times over and maybe between their IP and innovation strategies? And if so, to what extent? I have had the privilege and sometimes I would say the extreme challenge of finding myself in the middle of pretty controversial innovation. Uh, but what I also like to describe as positive disruption The similarities of my experience from Apple to Skype and Airbnb are, are actually probably the reason why I chose to join these companies in the first place. On each occasion, I was joining a team that had a vision and that were absolutely passionate about the product they were building. And this product was having a positive impact on people's lives. And what I mean by that is that it was opening up more consumer choices, 
resulting in prices dropping, making people's lives easier, more convenient. And in each company, we were all eating our own dog food. What I mean by that is and we were working there every day, but we were using the products on a daily basis. And we were really focused on the consumer experience and I would say the human side of what we were building. And from a legal perspective, there were also quite a lot of similarities in that journey and the challenges that we faced along the way. For example, we were obviously as lawyers managing risk. I would also say embracing risk, leaning into that risk. We were dealing with a a ton of controversy, uh, resistance from incumbents uh, along the way, but on each occasion dealing with outdated laws uh, no longer relevant for the, the business or the innovation that we were building. And as a result, quite a lot of backlash, uh, particularly from regulatory authorities. And just to share an example, or a couple of examples even, at Apple, when I joined, it was the very early days of iTunes and the iPod. And I don't know if you remember this, but originally people had to buy a whole album just to listen to that one song that you liked. And legally, I was reviewing a lot of the marketing messages and iTunes. Initially, we had the slogan, rip, burn, mix. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I remember. And I can't even begin to describe the controversy and complaints we used to receive from music protection authorities, technical protection authorities who were worried about breach of copyright, uh, protecting rights holders and publishers. And you might also remember the, the iPod ad, the silhouette, which had the slogan, a thousand songs in your pocket. Absolutely. People just back then, they just didn't get it. And as a lawyer, I had to defend Apple against consumer protection authorities because consumers were complaining that they bought an iPod, but there were no songs on it. Um, another example of Skype I'd love to share is that, uh, again, pretty hard to imagine now, but in 2005, being able to call someone over the internet was absolutely unheard of. So Skype back then, it was declared illegal in many countries around the world. Uh, IT departments in large companies were telling their staff not to use Skype because it was a security threat. But then on the positive side, there were families, immigrants that were saying goodbye to loved ones who were dying back home. Uh, incredible stories of even Skype being used in refugee camps and enabling families to, to reunite. So I guess the point of all of that is there was controversy, there was backlash, but there was some really positive impacts that were happening at the same time. I don't think anyone, including Steve Jobs or the founders of Skype or, or the founders of Airbnb, had any idea how, how game-changing these businesses would become. But, but in each and every occasion, it was the beginning of an incredible journey of positive disruption of either the entire music industry the, or the telecommunications industry or in the case of Airbnb, the hospitality industry. And true uh, disruptive innovation is the holy grail for any business leader. But how can it be supported and fostered from a corporate, legal and IP perspectives to, to ensure its success? Well, if you're building an innovative product or service that is disrupting an entire industry sector, it is essential, I would say, that a business leader has a strong legal business partner who is an enabler or who is creatively clearing that path for growth. You need a type of lawyer that is not going to say, no, that's illegal, but yes, this is the way we can do it. And I'm sure there are plenty of listeners here are, who are familiar with business development, marketing teams and other teams who tend to avoid the legal department until they're at the very end of their deal or at finalizing their strategy. 
because they're afraid that they're going to get blocked or somehow their momentum is going to get slowed down by bringing in legal. But when you're in a truly disruptive business, uh, innovative business, the winning combination from experience is absolutely a team that has legal as a core member from inception, from the very beginning. Uh, operating as a business partner, I would say a creator, a part of the building process, if you like. And that lawyer needs to be managing, sometimes even embracing risk, as opposed to purely supporting or rubber stamping along the way, if you like. And look, let's be honest, not, not all lawyers are comfortable with this level of risk or controversy or uncertainty. But when I talk about risk here, I'm not talking about managing risks or, or taking on any type of risks. What I'm talking about is managing risk in service of a greater mission, like purpose-driven risks, if you like. Mm -hmm. And at Airbnb, for example, every day we were seeing life-changing stories of connection, economic opportunity, sustainability. And so that helps you lean into those risks, if you like. Um, at Airbnb, just to give you an example, from the very start, the day I joined, I was literally firefighting, dealing with regulators who were in some cases threatening to shut us down. And there was so much confusion, speculation and fear about like what laws and regulations might apply, if any. And all around me, like everyone had an opinion, reporters, legal experts, politicians, hosts and guests. They all had a different view of what laws applied to Airbnb. And I, and I remember it was at some point, some of my colleagues were starting to have doubts and they were coming up to me as one of the first lawyers to join the company. And they were like, Aoife, are we legal? <laughs> and again, for some lawyers, I would say this sounds like a complete nightmare. And yes, it, at times it was, it was stressful. It was nail biting, uh, sleepless nights were had along the journey. But for me, that controversy and confusion is an opportunity because clearly most of these existing laws, if you looked at them and researched them, they were never intended for a business like Airbnb. And when you applied them to the business, they literally made no sense whatsoever. A huge part of my role was actually highlighting that the laws were not fit for purpose and they either needed to change, they needed to evolve and educating either the press or, or government officials all around me. Yeah, and it's definitely doing the extra mile. The idea of disruptive innovation, it's sometimes referred to as a cautionary concept for large established companies. Uh, the underlying rationale is that there's some form of risk in becoming too, too good at and focused on what you do the best as smaller businesses may seize any available opportunity to launch a new product or business model targeting an underserved uh, part of your market. Is there such a thing as being so established that you become vulnerable? And is innovation an up or out game for large tech companies such as Airbnb or Apple? So I wouldn't say so established that you become vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Apple today. They are arguably one of the most successful companies in the world. Uh, they continue to be leaders in innovation, design, quality, and they, to this day, they will never compromise on quality or design, and they're consistently investing in new innovative products and, and services. I would say companies that are much more at risk or vulnerable is when they lose sight of their original purpose or objective, and they become much too focused on profits and short-termism, if you like. Disruptive innovation 
from experience usually happens in an industry sector where the large corporates or the incumbents are making high margins with very little effort, little passion, and uh, there are high barriers to entry, either from a technical perspective or a legal perspective or financial perspective. The, the founding story of Airbnb is actually a great example. Airbnb was born during a recession. The founders, Brian and Joe, were struggling to pay rent. And that's why they decided to blow up airbed mattresses and rent them out on their living room floor. Um, and you would assume in that situation that their first guests would have been like backpackers or, or students willing to, to sleep on their living room floor. But no, in fact, their very first guests were professionals. They were designers who were in San Francisco for a design conference. All of the hotels in San Francisco were completely booked out or unaffordable. And so that's what motivated them to look for an alternative. And it led them to Brian and Joe's living room floor. And even though originally the, the, the reason that they came there was to have an affordable place to stay, it actually ended up being a completely new experience, both for the hosts and the guests. They ended up actually having a really authentic uh, experience, seeing a side of San Francisco that they otherwise never would have seen. And uh, Brian and Joe are actually still friends with those guests to that day. So, so talking about disruption or, or, or established companies that are vulnerable, telecommunication companies is another example that in my mind had a, had a monopoly in some countries around the world. And so a long distance polls, they were just simply not an option for many people. And again, young immigrants, I don't know if you remember, but people used to stand in line for hours just to buy calling cards to make long distance calls. I guess the point here I'm trying to make is that if you become complacent or lose sight of your purpose or your customer or the human side of your business, and you're just prioritizing profit, that's when a corporation becomes vulnerable. Uh, let, let's focus on the role of legal professionals in the innovation process. Uh, based on your experience, Ifa, uh, shall legal teams follow the business in trying to catch up with innovation and how to address it through IP management compliance policies or contractual arrangements? Or can they be a driving force in how businesses innovate? Maybe both. The reason I joined Airbnb at such an early stage and I was already quite senior in my career is because I truly wanted to have the opportunity to be the driving force uh, of an innovative company. I wanted to play a strategic role. I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to be part of a team, a passionate team that was prioritizing mission over profit. And so over time, that's how we continued to grow and build our teams. And personally, I was hiring a lot of lawyers over the years. And again, we were looking for lawyers that were looking to make an impact, impact on the strategy, but also on people's lives. A little bit less focused on career, but much more about the type of work that they were doing. And I genuinely believe that Airbnb would not have seen the success and scale and growth that it had without an incredibly strong team uh, of legal experts who were the driving force, innovators and builders. And let me share an example. In 2012, when I joined Airbnb, at the time it was still a pretty unknown startup. Uh, the legal and regulatory landscape that we were dealing with was housing and tourism. Again, highly regulated and highly political in certain countries. And so back then, one day I received a message from the city of Amsterdam. Could we meet and chat was the message, very simple. And when I got to Amsterdam, I walked into this room and I found myself surrounded by 50 regulators and hoteliers, all men, by the way. Mm -hmm. And 
I was literally being yelled at. You're breaking the laws. This is dangerous. This is illegal. We need you to shut down your website and leave our city. And I remember being pretty shocked, a bit nervous. But then I took a step back and I thought about it and I said, okay, wait a minute. So prostitution and weed are legal in Amsterdam, but sharing your home, illegal? Seriously? And so I took a deep breath and I started to share the beautiful stories of positive impact that was happening between people around the world and the rapid growth numbers. And I made the point that you know, we could shut down this website, but this was not going to stop. People wanted this. This was growing like wildfire. It was going viral. Uh, but by using our website, we could make it more transparent. We could make it safer. Otherwise, we were just going to be creating a complete black market. And so we continued to engage despite that rather frosty start. Uh, I brought colleagues over from San Francisco uh, to listen, to learn about Amsterdam's concerns and their goals. And Together, we started to really study the housing laws, the tourism laws, and, and brainstorm on how to evolve them so that they could accommodate home sharing, but at the same time, try to address some of the concerns that the city of Amsterdam had. And over time, it took a while, but over time, that skepticism and that um, friction, if you like, started to change, and we built trust and a genuine desire uh, to make home sharing work. And about, I would say, nine months later, Amsterdam became one of the first cities in the world to tweak their laws and legitimize home sharing. And to this day, I'll never forget the headlines. It said, Airbnb is allowed in Amsterdam and can even stimulate the economy. Honestly, that was the beginning of extraordinary change because we took a similar approach then uh, in Paris and other cities around Europe. And in 2014, Paris changed their laws. And in 2015, London changed their laws. Each time, just small little tweaks to accommodate home sharing. But my point is, this led to some of the biggest early wins for Airbnb, particularly in Europe. And so there is no doubt in my mind that the work that we did as a very small team of lawyers in the early days was unquestionably the driving force for that early growth and scale at Airbnb. Even just thinking back to this day, I remember we celebrated 1 million guests, then we celebrated 5 million guests on Airbnb, Today, Airbnb has had over 1 billion guest arrivals. It has over 4 million listings on the platform, and it has more rooms than the top five hotel brands combined. Thank you for highlighting the, the positive impact of lawyers in this, uh, in this very interesting case study. Uh, with the tremendous development and widespread availability of artificial intelligence tools, many anticipate that upcoming innovations will be AI-based. For lawyers, many even predict drastic change in how lawyers will do business. Are there any AI-powered disruptive innovation technologies to keep an eye on, in your view? And how do you see the future of the legal industry in the upcoming years? Yeah, so the speed of change that we're going to see over the next decade with artificial intelligence, I think, is going to be unprecedented. Uh, customer service, education, art, music, medical, and of course, legal, they're all industry sectors that we're going to see extraordinary change, I would say, in the future. When it comes to legal, more specifically, the legal sector, uh, legal research, obviously, contract drafting, reviewing, negotiation, but I would say even legal dispute management and the court system are areas that are ripe for disruption. 
I, I'm actually currently in discussions with two very exciting startups using artificial intelligence in the legal sector. From a personal perspective, I actually don't see AI as a threat to lawyers. Rather, I see it as an opportunity, like a supportive tool uh, that's going to increase efficiency, is going to be more cost effective, while, of course, keeping the strategic thinking and the judgment calls where I say it belongs, which is the human brain. <laughs> but I do think this has the potential, when managed carefully, to be a win-win, both for consumers and lawyers alike. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Historically, startups have been seen as the birthplace of new work habits and culture, often, often geared toward increased flexibility, inclusiveness, and even fun. Uh, can a business or a brand succeed at the innovation game without being thoughtful of its corporate values such as DEI and ESG, in your view? At Airbnb, our mission was belong anywhere. I mean, it was very much a diversity and inclusion type of mission. It was the reason people joined the company. It was the motivation for, for working long and intense hours under a lot of pressure. Uh, just, just to explain the mission, belong anywhere. I mean, the, the idea was that you could travel or live anywhere in the world and immerse, uh, connect with locals and really feel like you belong. Um, and linked to that was the notion that tourism dollars would be spread across all neighborhoods and to all locals, as opposed to just concentrated in the tourism hotspots or exclusively going to corporate hotels, if you like. And literally every day we were seeing and hearing amazing stories of hosts and guests whose lives had completely changed positively uh, thanks to Airbnb. For example, we had the lonely widower who lost her husband and found a whole new purpose. She found a way to keep her home, a new source of income and made friends and connections all around the world. Or we had the host that was able to give up his miserable day job and pursue his passion as a musician or as a chef, etc. I mean, the stories were endless. And uh, it's that type of positive impact that gives you the energy and drive to, to push through the challenges when you're building uh, a disruptive or innovative business. But in addition to the mission at Airbnb, quite early on, uh, the founders, we established four core values. Number one, champion the mission. The second one was embrace the adventure. The third one, be a serial entrepreneur. And the fourth one, be a host. Mm -hmm. Those core values were incredibly important in terms of how we operated. Whenever we had difficult decisions to make, we were at a sort of a crossroads. Do we go right or left? We looked at our core values. It's how we set our goals. It's how we did our performance reviews. It's how we recruited new people and, and way more things across the company. The core value, be a host, if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense for a hospitality company. Mm -hmm. and but we use that value as a team um, amongst employees. Like we always strove to make people feel welcome, feel listened, respected, seen, and cared for, no matter who you were. I mean, I, I mentioned employees, but we did the same with city officials, with regulators, and even arguably some of our biggest opponents, the hotels. Uh, we were consistently being attacked. We had negative PR. 
We never provoked, we never attacked back. And we just took the time to listen, to learn, empathize and, and really build trust. Uh, I would even say as a legal team, those core values, like champion the mission is something I used to repeat to the team on a regular basis when we were dealing with a lot of stress. But those core values combined with the positive impact we were having were absolutely crucial, I would say, to, to dealing with those challenges and pushing through on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So as a woman and non-US woman, your experience growing your career in major tech companies is very inspiring. Uh, over the 10 years after Sheryl Sandberg's lean-in, is there more room for women in the Silicon Valley and even beyond? Look, things have improved uh, tremendously, I would say, but there is still no, undoubtedly a long way to go for women, whether US or not, I would add, actually. My career has taken me back and forth to Silicon Valley, you know, for, through the last 20 years or more even. But I actually moved there back in 2016. And at the time, Obama was president. But within less than a year, uh, Trump became president. And um, not long after that, the whole Me Too movement began to rise. This would have been early 2017. As a reminder, that movement initially was about raising awareness about sexual harassment in the work environment and about people abusing their positions of power. But it actually then triggered a much broader discussion about gender equality, uh, power dynamics, and the overall need for for cultural change, particularly in, in the work environment. And during that time, over the course of four or five years, I literally saw and experienced change firsthand. When I initially arrived in the in Silicon Valley, I was the only female in the leadership team for Airbnb Experiences, which is why I moved over there. It's Airbnb's second product, if you like. But over time, there was a growing awareness that more proactive action needed to be taken for things to change internally and across the board. And within a couple of years, some other women had joined the leadership team. And I have to say, personally, sitting in those meetings and engaging as a group, it just felt so much better. Across the company also, we introduced equality and unconscious bias training, and we had very uh, open discussions about how to change certain types of patterns and behaviors. Even at the board level, initially Airbnb's board uh, went from being all men to today three women on the board. And as a woman presenting to that board with other women sitting in the room, it just was a completely different and far more positive experience, if you like. So my point is there is still much more to do, but real change is happening. I would say opportunities are opening up. Are you aware that actually only 2% of venture funds go to companies founded by women? Yes. Yeah. So that's actually why today I'm myself supporting entrepreneurs and founders, coaching, mentoring, prioritizing women and minority founded entrepreneurs where I can, uh, because there's no question, um, you know, when we have more women in leadership on the C-suite, on boards and as VCs, uh, the more equality uh, over time we'll start to see it across the whole corporate environment. I mean, women recruit women, women bring in more women. So that's also where I'm prioritizing my time today to, to help bridge that gap. Thank you very much for these. I have now a few rapid fire questions for you. Maybe the, the recent trend, innovation or product that you believe to be the most disruptive for the legal ecosystem? Unquestionably, AI. <laughs> Any book you have recently read that you would recommend? This summer, actually, I read a, a beautiful book written by an author called Sharon Blackie. 
The title is If Women Rose Rooted, and it's all about the role of women in Celtic mythology. And I'm originally from Ireland myself, um, which is probably what drew me to it. But it highlights that if the back in Celtic mythology, uh, the Celtic women, they had this natural goddess-like power. Um, and what this book talks about is if that magical power were to be restored, it would help us restore Mother Earth. And there was a lot of links and parallels to global warming and climate change and all the issues we're seeing today with the environment um, is linked to the fact that women's powers and rights have been taken away from them for such a long time. And so what she's doing is drawing parallels between if, if women's powers and magic can be restored, so will our Mother Earth. Thank you for the recommendation. Thank you so much, Ifa, for accepting our invitation. And thank you very much for this very interesting discussion. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here today. One Wida is the sponsor of this episode of Brand and You, and I am pleased to welcome Yang Ming Ming, who is a partner based in the firm's Beijing office and an attorney at law admitted to practice in China. Ming Ming, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Audrey. It's a great pleasure to take an interview today. How can artificial intelligence technology help IP law firms to provide better legal services to clients? That's a good question. There's no doubt that the AI technology will be of vital importance for IP law firms for optimizing customer experience, not only to enhance the efficiency, but also to improve the service quality. And AI technology might be particularly helpful in China. As you may know, China has a huge number of trademark applications and registrations. And in 2021, over 9.4 million applications were filed in a year. And by the end of 2022, there were 42 million registered trademarks in the register. With such a high number of filings, registrations, everything become complicated and time-consuming. It became almost impossible to do the trademark monitoring manually. Using the AI technology is not only for efficiency improvement, but maybe the only realistic option for us. And for sure, as you as you already had discussed with other um, experts, the AI technology can be a great help for us to do the clearance search, risk assessment, and the infringement monitoring. And what I want to mention that for the Chinese um, practice, there are actually the high rate of refusal based on absolute grounds. And for instance, uh, in China, the geographic names above the county level would not be allowed to be registered or used as a trademark. But there are actually over 2,800 counties in China. And many of the counties' names are very strange to attorneys. So the AI tool can help us to identify the potential risk, which will be very helpful in, in the new AILO. With the artificial intelligence technology, how do you think the role of intellectual property lawyers will change? Uh, first of all, I don't believe the AI technology can replace the role of the traditional lawyers, even though the AI technology can provide faster and uh, accurate legal service in some aspect. But we not only do the legal um, analysis, but also to 
personalize our advice based on the specific situation and the deep communication with the client. And sometimes to deal with the complex legal issues, it requires extensive professional knowledge and skills. That may be difficult for the AI-driven tool. But for the future lawyers, the AI tool will bring some changes. The lawyers may have to deeply understand and master the application of legal technologies, including but not limited to the AI, big data, and other modern technologies. And also, lawyers may need to have a skill for the data processing analysis, which could be a new um, topic for us. And uh, lawyers may also need to have a stronger innovation ability to better respond to the challenges and opportunities brought by the AI technologies. Are there any legal or ethical risks involved in using artificial intelligence technology, in your view? Um, despite all the uh, rapid development of the AI technology and the convenience uh, created by the, such technologies, we, there are still some downsides that we may not able to afford. AI can make our life easier by uh, automating um, tedious tasks, but it also can produce inaccurate or false information as reported by the media, the uh, U.S. lawyer may cite six fake cases made beta by the ChatGPT, and we must avoid such kind of uh, problems in the future. And the other most other issue of our most concern is about the data security and the privacy. For time being, we are still very reluctant to upload the case files or information. Maybe next year we will have. Uh, different experience and uh, knowledge about this topic. Thank you so much, Mingming. Great pleasure. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.